Praise the Lord, everybody. How many came to praise the Lord tonight? We came to lift him up. He's worthy. Praise the Lord. Now, we've come to get into the word, and, and so grab your Bibles while you're standing, we'll, while you got some of your blood pumping and uh, you're breathing. Uh, let's, let's get right into the book of Hosea. We're in a series. Now, I don't know how long it will take. I was hoping to do Hosea in like two two lessons, but uh, that is not going to happen. I've tried to cut it down and find ways. I w I've already, s if you missed the first lesson, then you, uh, you've missed the intro to the Minor Prophets. So uh, we'll, we'll have a little chart here that will review the Minor Prophets, but we're not studying the Minor Prophets in time sequence. We are studying them in the order they are in the Bible. So we were memorizing last week, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. We're just going so we could say them quickly. And we'll do that again, and we'll tr try to get it in our minds. Now, the idea is to study all 12. I've never, all right, number one, this is a disclaimer. Even though I teach Hebrew, even though I know Hebrew, even though I've taught my, my son who has forsaken me, uh, said that uh, that I do not preach the Old Testament enough. I do not teach the Old Testament enough. And I said, well, I just follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Hallelujah. But uh, but it is true that I, I don't teach as much of the Old Testament as I'd like to. Uh, part, of, part of that is, uh, well, there's several reasons that I understand from my own heart. But, uh, but, of course, I've taught every book of the Old Testament as well. But when I say teach, I mean on the college level at a, at a you know, at, in a college classroom. Uh, I, I've taught every, every book of the New Testament. But the Old Testament, uh, I've not done as much exploration through the Old Testament. So the 12 books of the Minor Prophets, I've never taught them in, uh, in let's say, exegetically or every word going through every chapter. I've just never done it. So I've been burdened to do it. On Sunday night, basically the minor prophets are a part of what we call the rest, age of restoration or the divided kingdom and then the restored uh, kingdom or the restoration of the kingdom, the rebuilding of the temple. So everything after David and the division of the, everybody say praise the Lord. Come on, come on. You got to almost, you got to kind of put on an act like, oh, I really want to learn to, you know, you got to kind of just, even if you're, you know, you ate the broccoli or whatever and it didn't settle well, or, you, or you're exhausted or you mowed 17 lawns or you, 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 you rolled in the, in, the, in the weeds and got it all over you and you're, you're wore out or whatever. You still have to say, I want to study the word of God. Hallelujah. You got to kind of act like that a little bit. Okay, so we're, um, we're going to launch ourselves into the first book of the Minor Prophets. That is to say, not the first Minor Prophet, because we're going to look at that in a moment. That's not chronologically, but as it is and appears in the Bible. So we're looking at the book of Hosea. And uh, so let's, if you would, uh, let's take the book of Hosea and let's read uh, Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. That way we can, 
we can begin. We're going to cover three chapters. Now, I don't want to scare anyone. We're not going to do word for word for word for word. I've, I've done it in a way that we can do it quickly. Now, I wanted to do seven chapters because Hosea has 14 chapters. So, But I can't, I can't figure out how to teach seven whole chapters and make it meaningful. And so I just can't do it. So I've told the Lord, okay, Lord. I may just teach a few of the minor prophets. I don't know. We'll do if they get completely bored, then we'll we'll move on to the major prophets or something. But uh, but let's read if you would Hosea chapter one, and there are a few names in here. Let's read it together. They're gonna you have it there. It's not gonna come up here, even though it will in a moment. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham. Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Praise the Lord. Okay, so they they sped ahead, and that's good. That's another way to do it. And everyone said, Amen. Could we lift our hearts and pray the Lord will bless his word tonight? Father, we pray that our study of Hosea will remind us of a great truth of Scripture. And that it will penetrate our heart, Lord. We know that Hosea preached hundreds of years ago. And now we ask you to make it alive to our hearts in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Now let's go back to the first slide. Thank you. They're trying to keep up with me. Now the name Hosea means what? Does anyone know? It means salvation. Everybody say salvation. But it actually comes from a root word, which we'll look at it. No, we won't. Okay, I cut that out. It comes from a, the root word in Hebrew that means to deliver. And so, of course, that gives us a little hint that the book of Hosea is about um, deliverance. That the only way, uh, and uh, for example, uh, I, was, I keep feeling this. I wanted to hold back, but I, I, just, I just can't seem to do it. The, um, the American church today is strayed so far from God. That America needs revival. Does anybody believe that in this service? America needs revival. America needs to go back to the Bible. But instead, where are they going? They're going to Hollywood. They're going to pleasure. And they're seeking for all their answers in our culture as though whatever the culture says, well, that's true. How many knows that can't be true? How many knows that a couple hundred years ago when they said the color of your skin mattered, was that true? When they said, we, if, unless you're a certain color, we're going to do this. No, that, the culture said it was fine. Just like today we're saying, uh, killing babies is just fine. See, but what is the church doing? The church is uh, following the ways of the world, following Hollywood. If Hollywood says it, then that's it, man. That's my, those are our heroes. And so the church is in trouble. And in, if ever there was a time the book of Hosea could speak to us, it would be now. All right, now there's two themes in Hosea. The first one uh, is love. The second one is judgment. And they seem like they don't go together. And, the, and therefore, the name, of, the name Hosea, it would say Hosea, all right, uh, means to save or to deliver. And so it is that um, um, the American church, America, in fact, the whole world. Now, that doesn't mean that there's been a time that people didn't need to be delivered. But, you know, the American church is basically what we would call backslidden. And Hosea speaks to the question of being backslidden. In fact, his wife, 
uh, Gomer becomes the centerpiece of the story, and it will show you exactly how. Now, so the first theme is God's love. Everyone say love. So it's a, here are words that are used often in studies of, I took these right from books about Hosea. Amazing love, unbroken love, unconditional love, faithful, though foolish in the world's eyes. In other words, love that the world would say was foolish. God's love song, love worth fighting for, love that won't let you go, love that never fails, love that suffers for another. And so that is true that, that Hosea is the story of both his love for his wife and God's love for his people Israel. And that it is an unbroken, it is an undying love, but it is not a love that overlooks evil. See, here, here's where America has got in trouble. America thinks, well, no matter what I do, even if I become, uh, if I cheat on God, if I run after the world, it won't make any difference. Well, that is where you're wrong. And so we'll, we'll take a look. Now let's go to the next slide. Now here are some other themes besides a judgment and the love of God, which seem to be opposites. We're going to work our way through that. I would say that mostly, uh, mostly Hosea is about the judgment of God and how that forsaking God brings judgment. But let's take a look. For example, in the first book, which, uh, which uh, these are books on Hosea. So I'm showing you how they, how they titled them. All right, and we've already done this, but we're reviewing so we can move on into the first chapter. Hosea, people who forgot God. So that's very, that's very true. Hosea is about Israel forgetting God and, and, God's, uh, <laughs> and God's judgment on Israel for that. All right. And so the, the next one is, I, this one's kind of hard to see. Can anybody read that right there? Hosea, the heart of God for a wayward people. See, what people often forget is that if, God's message is if you sin and you disobey God, then he's going to he's going to reject you until you come back to him. Now, see, this is not the theme of marriage doesn't work because you can't say, all right, I'm going to marry you for a few weeks. Then when you are when when you're evil, then I'm going to divorce you. But as soon as you better, I'll come back and marry you again. We'll just do this all the rest of our lives. That would mean people would be marrying like 10,000 times in their life. And so that would be kind of crazy. See, the, that analogy doesn't work. The, the analogy of Hosea and Gomer being married and that relationship being an image of God in Israel, that's true, but not in the human aspect. Because God, if he knows that your heart is full of sin, he rejects you. He says, until you turn back to me, I'm, no, I'm going to turn my back on you. And so it is. And so that's what Hosea is about, what God does, and what does that kind of rejection look like. All right, so but God has a heart for wayward people. Now this one down here says judgment and hope. There you have the balance that I'm talking about, both judgment and hope. Because how many knows that Israel right now, listen to me. you got to listen, folks. This is a Bible study. Israel right now is a nation. But for many, many years, they were not, for nearly 2,000 years, they were not a nation. They were wiped out. During, that's why these, uh, the, the message I'm preaching on Sunday night about Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah, the, these messages are about the restoration of Israel. That they had, they'd been destroyed because their kings became so evil and they begin to worship other gods. Now, folks, worshiping other, just worshiping won't cut it. 
Okay, so, so uh, the point is that um, there's hope, and the hope is that God has prophesied that Israel is going to return to him, which means the Israel that we now know in Israel is going to accept the Messiah. That's why there's coming a tribulation and so forth. And the tribulation will draw Israel back to God. And it, all the nations of the world are going to, uh, in other words, God's going to allow the world condition to get so bad that Israel will realize their mistake and turn to the Messiah. They're going to they're gonna worship Jesus. Praise God. Can you say praise the Lord? Okay, so that's the idea. Let's go to the next slide. We, could, we won't look at all those. Now, last time we, we took a look. Let's look at the middle one. Let's, uh, these are all in the King James Version. So let's read the middle one, Hosea 4, 6. Let's read it. My people are destroyed. All right? So that's negative. The thing is that when you do not understand or know God or have the knowledge of God, it brings destruction. And so it was because thou hast rejected knowledge I will also reject thee. Now, let's go uh, to the last one because we're trying to get them in order, and that's Hosea 10, 12. These are three of the sort of the top. We read them last time we're, we're reviewing. So let's read Hosea 10, 12. Everyone together, a little, little bit louder. Here we go. It is time to seek the Lord that he may come and reign righteousness on you. Praise God. And uh, that's been really working on me. So when we get to chapter 10, I'm going to do a whole thing on how, how does righteousness reign upon you? Praise God. He didn't say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rain a bunch of money on you. He didn't say, I'm going to rain a brand new TV show on you so you can spend the rest of your life getting all wrapped up in something. He said, I'm going to rain righteousness upon you. If anybody ever needed it, it's a modern America. They need righteousness to reign upon them. This has become one of the most evil nations in the history of the world, and we're blinded to it. Okay, now uh, let's go to Hosea 14.9. I, I, I don't want anybody preaching, okay? I don't want any preaching. I want us to teach here. All right, so let's read it together. Who is wise, and he shall understand these things. Prudent. And he shall know them for the ways of the Lord are right and the just shall walk in them. But the transgressors shall fall therein. So that's, I think, a great summary of not only are they the three most famous, not there's others, but these are about as famous as you get in Hosea. OK, now let's go to Hosea and, and Gomer. And I'm going to go quickly. So uh, I, I just would like you to go with me. I don't want to just be talking to myself here. So we're looking at two divisions of uh, of of Hosea. And of course, uh, the first is the story of Gomer. And of course, Gomer uh, and uh, Gomer's adultery and her husband Hosea. These are chapters one and what? Three. So chapters one and three. Now listen to me. You cannot, let's look at the little note at the bottom. Hosea is not an allegory that goes back and forth between Israel and Gomer. Okay? Okay. So everything that you're saying about here's Gomer. Okay. Gomer's over here. And he, what is she doing? Well, she's doing these things. She's married to Hosea. She's this and that. We'll talk about her in a minute. But everything you're saying about Gomer, you're not saying about Israel. 
See, Gomer's doing one thing, and she's, she's a symbol of Israel. But there are things going on with, Gomer, that with Israel that has not got anything at all, <laughs> anything at all to do with Israel. Now, this is a problem because many people think that everything in Hosea is about Gomer and everything is about Israel. That, in other words, everything you say about Gomer is some symbolic thing about Israel. Now, many people have trouble with Hosea because God... Uh, told the prophet to do something that he had never told a human being to do before. How many things you have to obey God? Some of you don't. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I know you do. <laughs> you have to obey God. But, uh, but uh, many people are troubled by the fact. So what they say is not just liberals. See, a lot of times liberals, for example, they, if, I always know what a liberal's going to say. I mean a religious liberal. Well, Jesus healed the blind man. Well, he didn't really heal the blind man. Uh, that's a story. They, that story got, he never healed anybody. But the story was really nice, made people feel good. That's the liberal's answer. So they still keep their Bibles. They don't believe a word of it. But not just liberals have trouble with Hosea. Because there's something in Hosea that's never been repeated in the history of the world. And we're going to take a look at it. And that, of course, is his relationship with Gomer. So, so it's not an allegory that goes back and forth and says, Hosea had a baby, and so Israel had... No, no, that's not what's going on here. What is going on is the Lord is letting Hosea see how God feels about Israel by him experiencing pain in his own adulterous relationship at home. So it's not an allegory back and forth. Gomer's adultery is the motivation which made Israel's rejection of God personal to the prophet. So he was able to uh, experience it as it were. Not that he, uh, well, you know, know, the things of God and God's call in our lives gets very personal. Like when we study Jonah. Does anybody remember what got very personal with Jonah? Anybody remember? His ministry got very personal. He's preaching preaching a sermon. And all of a sudden what happened? A big fish swallowed him. See? And took him down into the depths. And he was down there for how long? See, everybody knows the story of Jonah. But Hosea, for him to experience what God intended for him to experience and understand, is uh, required for him to marry Gomer. And every generation since Hosea has been remembering this uh, tragic, uh, let's call it a tragic love story. It's tragic because. The marriage was completely distraught, and she was completely unfaithful, and they had children. But it was a love story because in the end, she was redeemed. So that makes it a love story. Now, and that is how it is a parallel, not an allegory of Israel, but a parallel to Israel. That in the end, Israel, I'm telling you now, revival is coming to Israel because God said so. And Hosea said so. And every prophet said so. But Hosea experienced it in a very unique way. And that is that he married, he married as it were, Israel in Gomer. And, uh, and so it is. Now, let's go to the next slide. I, I won't, I'm just going to go as fast as I can. Now, this one we could skip, but, uh, but uh, since we're thinking about it. So what is the role of the prophet? Well, the role of the prophet was, uh, as we see in, in Jeremiah 26 here. Let's go down here. It's kind of small. Now, here we have, uh, this is the word 
uh, Nebaiah, all right, Nebaiah, which means a prophet. Uh, so what is the role of the prophet? Well, it comes from a root word, which is Naba, which means to give divine uh, inspired predictions or to tell the future. So prophets were uh, Naba, that is, they were, they, Naba was not just about prophecy. Naba meant that you were flowing with it. You were filled with something. And so just like Hosea, God said, I'm going to judge Israel. I am not going to overlook her sin. And Hosea said, oh, my goodness. And the Lord said, I want you to go marry Gomer. No, I can't marry Gomer. Oh, my goodness. She's a woman of ill repute. I could never marry her. You're to marry her. So you could say, many people ask me about this. I think it's fine. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a word running from it. Many people, for example, will say, um, well, why would God tell the prophet to do such a thing? Is this telling people you should go marry uh, prostitutes? Is that what God is telling us? No, that's not what God is telling us. No, God is telling Hosea in this one instance that I am going to cause the end to come out according to my purpose. And so you have to believe me. Does anybody think we ought to listen to what God says? Now, if you came to me and said, God told you to go be swallowed by a big fish, I would say, hold on just a minute. And then I push a little button under my desk. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have, I don't have a button under my desk. Uh, I probably should get one. But um, uh what I would do is I would say, hello, hold just a minute, I'll see you. Hold on just a minute. Hello, is this the, uh, um, are you the uh, people with the white wagon? Uh, please head this way quick. Uh, someone said to me that God spoke to them last night. Now, it's interesting because, see, people might say, so let's look at motive here. If someone came to me and said, oh, the Lord is just said to me like he did Hosea, that I should marry a prostitute. Just, I just go to go find a prostitute. And, oh, I, uh, are we have young? I thought we had kids chapel going. We have very young ears. <laughs> Sister French, where have you been? We needed you desperately. Okay, um, so let's start. Let's rewind this. Okay. <laughs> um, so if the Lord said that you should go <laughs> and be swallowed by a giant fish. Well, you see, what's the chance of somebody saying that? See, not, not likely. Because what motivation would they have to say? Well, I'm going to go be swallowed by a giant fish. First of all, where are they going to find a giant fish to do it? Well, a whale will go off the coast of Newfoundland, and it will be swallowed by a big whale, and uh, everything will be hunky-dory. I read the other day about, a, uh, about 120 years ago, uh, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he was swallowed by a, one of these gigantic whales, and, and they found him inside the whale. And it, I don't think it was very comfortable. From the pictures, it looked very uncomfortable. I'm talking about after they cut him out of the whale. So not many people are running around saying, I want to do, like, do like Jonah be swallowed by a giant fish. That's not likely to happen. And so it is that the purpose of God in telling Hosea to do what he did was not because it was to recommend it to us, but in order for God to illustrate his own love for Israel. And that just as God can, uh, uh, knowing, of course, how many knows that God knows the end from the beginning? So that would be my answer. 
Someone said, how could God do such a thing? Well, if God, listen, here's how I would answer. If God says it, I believe it. Period. If he says it, I believe it. If he said, go, uh, I mean, if someone came to me and said, God wants me to jump off the Empire State Building, I would uh, reach for the little button under the, no, I'm just kidding. But, but you see, if God did, if God wanted me to do something, then, then I'm going to do it. There have been many a times I did not, I'll never forget the day that God told me to come to Atlanta. I will never forget the day that God spoke to me and said, you are going to Chicago. And I was there for 20 years because God called me there. And nobody could make sense of it. But God knows exactly what he's doing. And so it was with Hosea. So, the, so these folks will say, well, Hosea, uh, uh, Gomer wasn't real. Or Hosea was just telling a story. Wasn't really real. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And how many believe the Bible? I believe the Bible. All right. So his, his job as prophet was to deliver the message which was that Israel, its only hope is God's love. That's the only hope Israel has. Because right now, the way you're living, he's getting ready to destroy you, and you're, there's not going to be a single thing left of you. But in the end, God is saying, I know that my people are going to come back to me. Now, I want to I parallel this to the church today. God never made that promise to the church. Our hope is the rapture. If you miss the rapture, you don't get a second chance. You must be ready when he comes. He said, if, if there were the, the bridegroom, the, the, the 12 uh, virgins, 10 virgins were, uh, were preparing for the, for the bridegroom to come, and five were foolish, and five kept the oil in their, in their vessel, and so on. If you miss the bridegroom, then that's it. There's no final answer. His promise was that God was going to do something in the last days that would change people's hearts and their lives so that they would know that they're saved and and reach out after God. But Israel had this promise. I am going to bring you back to myself. And Hosea is going to utter this over and over. You're going to be judged, but God can have another. In other words, every generation of Israel could be renewed and restored. How many are thankful for that? And God can restore his church as well. So Jeremiah 26, and thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord, if you will not hearken to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to hearken to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send unto you, both rising up early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, then will I make this house like Shiloh and make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. So in other words, they gave, they were basically the mouthpiece of God. How many are thankful for the preacher? How many are thankful for somebody that tells you what God says and believes it and loves, loves it? Now, let's go, to the, let's go back now to our original uh, Hosea verse 1, the word of the Lord that came into Hosea, son of uh, Bereri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and, and Hezekiah. So these were the kings of Judah. Now, um, what we're trying to look at here as we take a look and we start moving through the first three chapters of Hosea. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Come on, everybody say, praise the Lord. You, we got, you, got to kind of, you got to motivate yourself. I mean, you get up in the morning, you drink coffee or cocoa or something. You don't just get up and walk into the wall. And so when you're, it's in the evening, you're at the Bible study, you got to motivate yourself a little bit. If the heat's blowing on you and you feel like you want to lay down and go to sleep, say, I don't want to lay down and go to sleep in the church. You got to tell yourself that. 
You got to pinch yourself and say, do not lay down on this pew and sort of get yourself stirred a little bit. And so what we're trying to do here is we're trying to look at the time frame of, of the, what we're calling the time of the divided kingdom or restoration. Everything to the far right is the restoration that we've been preaching about on Sunday night. Everything to the left is the divided kingdom. Now, folks, there is nothing worse than division to destroy what God is trying to do. And so that was not good in itself because the northern tribes thought they could get by without Jerusalem. And so they made uh, they made uh, Samaria their their uh, capital. And uh, that was tragic beyond words. And and you can see the line. Now, see that link? See where it says Israel? That's how long they lasted till 722. Judah lasted all the way to the end of that line, which uh, is the re return from uh, well, basically to the time of Malachi, which is about 400 years before Jesus. So from about 1000, is there a date there? 931. So about 1000 until 400 years before Jesus. Then the 400 years. How many ever heard of the 400 years of silence? Anybody ever heard of that? So 400 years before Jesus came, there was no prophet. There was no book written. It was just what people refer to as the years of silence. Oh, there was really nothing silent about it. It was all kinds of things happening. But there was no, God was not speaking to Israel in that time through uh, what we might think of as canonical uh, preaching and prophets and so on. And then Jesus was born. And then John the Baptist was the last of the and greatest of the prophets. So what we're looking at is the years just before that. And so let's go uh, to the next slide. Uh, the time of Jeroboam. I would say Jeroboam, the son of Joash. All right, now, the main thing here is to look at, in the little box, the divided, uh, divided from Judah since 931, which we just looked at, Israel, which was in the north, went into Assyrian captivity in 722. When did Hosea preach to them? Well, he preached to them for about 30 years. He had grown children by the time Assyria wiped out the northern kingdom. And he kept telling them, God is going to wipe you out. You must quit your sinning and turning to other gods. So he preached judgment and mercy, just like Jonah did. Now, in the case of Jonah, we're familiar with it, that they preached to Nineveh and they repented. And Jonah got mad and said, oh, my goodness, I thought you were going to destroy them. And so he went and got mad and pouted and so on. But not Hosea. Hosea preached judgment, and they would not listen. And he preached it right up until 725 B.C. So we know it was somewhere just before uh, the Assyrians came and wiped out the northern kingdom. But Judah continued. Israel continued to, to thrive, and it, which was the southern kingdom was known as Judah. Now, here were his contemporaries. His contemporaries were what? Isaiah. And Micah, they were preaching almost at the identical time. Now, Hosea preached. Now, the others didn't. But Hosea is the only one that I'm quite certain preached all the way to the nearly the day of uh, a Syrian takeover of, of Israel. So you had Isaiah and Micah, both of them preaching. But they were in the south. They were in Judah. But uh, you had uh, Hosea up preaching in the north. And then you also had in the in the north Amos about 20 or 30 years before Hosea was preaching and Jonah almost the exact same time as Amos. So all of this was uh, just at the very time of the uh, captivity of Israel. 
If you go back another hundred years from this, you in the 800s, you have Obadiah and Joel in Judah and Elijah preaching in Israel. So these are the these are the prophets in their and their uh, contemporary prophets uh, preaching alongside them. Now, when the Bible says that he preached during the time of Jeroboam, can you see that Jerob the original first king of the northern kingdom was Jeroboam, but then there was the second Jeroboam about 200 years later, not quite 200 years later. Okay, now, everybody say praise the Lord. Now, let's go, uh, let's look at uh, Gomer's uh, life and the parallel themes of Gomer's life. Number one, uh, the themes are one and two, God's anger. Rejection and judgment for Israel's sin. Number two, God's love for Israel and its prophesied restoration. So unlike Hosea, God is married only in symbol, not contractually. For example, when I take a vow that I will be faithful my entire life, then that's what I, that's what I do. The only thing that can break that is adultery. Jesus said there's only one thing that breaks the contract of marriage, and that's adultery. If there's anything that will kill the marriage, it's adultery. And so, but, but God doesn't uh, hold a contract in which he says, okay, now that's the death of the marriage. He says, I, I can, uh, it is not an actual marriage. It is a symbol of marriage. And so he can say to Israel, you're no longer mine, and that's what he's about to say. Or he can say, now you're my now you're my wife, meaning, of course, not my actual wife, but in symbol, you're like a wife to me. You're, you're as dear to me as a wife and so on. So unlike man, God can alternately reject sinful Israel and then later love restored Israel. And that's exactly what he does. So Israel's turning from God is symbolized as harlotry, whoredom, or prostitution. These are different words, and every translation has different words they use. So infidelity, then, is used as the symbol of evil from which Israel must repent and turn because Israel forsook her God. For, to forsake God was being compared to infidelity or even prostitution. All right? Now, I want to get past this quick, but how many understand that prostitution and adultery are two separate things? Does everybody understand that? That's two separate things. Someone could be a, in, in one sin and not the other because of what is required of those to fulfill them. Now, let's look at Hosea's story. First of all, Hosea marries uh, Gomer, who is a prostitute, who refuses to love him and to be faithful. And so what God is doing in, in Hosea, and let me say this uh, many times, I, I don't mean this, I'm not going to apply Hosea's plight to all preachers, but, but I will say that when God puts a, uh, a, a constriction upon the ministry, uh, whatever it may be, folks, let me, how many knows you ought to be praying for your ministry? Anybody understand that? You ought to be praying for the preacher because God draws and calls and, and there's, a, there's a constraint upon the ministry that, uh, that we, need, we need constant prayer support. Not just Hosea. I'm not trying to say that every preacher goes through what Hosea. That, that's not true. Hosea is the only preacher that ever faced that. But what I'm trying to tell you is that every preacher has a calling of God upon him that he must respond to. And God is saying, this is what you must do. We don't realize sometimes what a, well, uh, what a challenge that can be. And so we need to pray for our ministers. And we're having a general conference in a couple days. 
And we need to pray for the UPC. Why don't we pray for the United Pentecostal? Let's lift our hands and pray. Let's ask God to bless our ministers. Lord, we have now over 10,000 ministers in the U.S. We have about 30,000 ministers around the world outside the U.S. We pray, Lord, that you will... Uh, that you will bless every missionary, every church, Lord. We thank you for it. Keep your hand upon us and encourage, Lord, our leadership. Lord, give us faithful leadership that will walk in the ways of righteousness. In Jesus' name. So she refuses to love him and to be faithful. So can you just imagine? I, I can't relate to it. It's almost, I'm, I, I'm not saying I don't like it or I'm rebelling against it. I'm saying that I can't relate to it. I can't even uh, imagine someone who is commanded by God to marry in, in such a way and not knowing what the future would hold. And she refuses to love him. She's not faithful to him. And some of their children are not even his own. And so it is. And so uh, verse two says, hath, uh, Israel hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. In other words, comparing to turn away from God is uh, compared to whoredom. And so it is. And this is not uncommon, but it's certainly the theme of the book of Hosea. That when you, when you turn your back on God, folks, listen, the greatest thing you can do is to stand for truth. No matter what, you may stumble, fall, you may have all kinds of issues, but you need to stand for truth. You don't need to turn and say, eh, I don't believe in that. Did you know there's such a, anybody ever heard of blasphemy? Did you know that you can blaspheme the Holy Ghost? And you know what blaspheme of the Holy Ghost is? I believe, and I've been thinking of this lately, not because of Hosea, but did you know that blasphemy is when somebody turns their back on the Holy Ghost and said, I don't believe in the Holy Ghost anymore. You can blaspheme God. And, of course, then the, the parallel problem is, is reprobation. Reprobation is simply where you turn from God and you walk away from God. That's reprobation. So what happened is God gave them three, uh, three children. The first one was a son, Jezreel. Now, Jezreel was the, was the uh, valley uh, where, uh, the, where Jehu uh, slaughtered all the people. And God said, I, I'm, I'm never, ever going to come back to Israel. As long as you have that kind of leadership, I will never be your God. And he said, I want you to name that first baby now, many people are troubled by this. I know I'm, I'm trying to uh, kind of help you here. Uh, many people are troubled by the fact that God would say, name your first baby like, say, uh, 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 I'm trying to, I can't think of a modern connotation, like Hitler. Name your first baby Hitler. I want you to have a baby and name the baby Hitler. And I, I can see, and I want, to, I want to play a little bit of, I want to be a little open here. Uh, everybody say, praise the Lord. Come on, stay with me. I'm trying to hurry. I don't want to keep you all night. And so, uh, I mean, when I think about the, how God is love, and full of love and mercy and so forth, of course, I know we're in the New Testament era, and, and uh, God operates, you know, in, in the New Testament in ways that he did not in the old. But... Uh, to name your baby Jezreel, which means, uh, well, Jezreel as a Hebrew word means God is a sower or a planter, which means God plants and, and, and Israel is going to reap it. I'm going to plant things in such a way that you will, you will be sorry. And so that, that's the first son, which is kind of nice. That, that's almost a nice name. You know, like my brother's name is, my oldest brother was Thaddeus. My middle brother was Tretus. And then Talmadge, well, hey, Talmadge was awesome. After that, you know, I've, I've always loved the name 
but none of my other brothers, well, my brother Thaddeus, they called him Thad, and he, he didn't mind it. But my, my other brother, I, well, I guess my middle, would we call him the middle brother? He is the middle brother, yes. Um, uh, he did not like his name. Well, Treatise was made up. I mean, you just admit it. It's made up. There's nobody ever named Treatise in the history of the world. I mean, there's nobody. Uh, I know there's a, there's a word Treatise with a T in the middle, which means a, a thing you write. But that's not his name. His name is Treatise. And uh, so he, he struggled with it. And then he later said, well, I'm not going by that anymore. I'm going to go by a different name. But just imagine the Lord saying, now, here's your baby daughter. And I want you to name her Loruhama, which means not loved. How, come here, not loved. Come here, you're not loved. See that? I, there's something in my spirit. Oh, oh, Jesus, I can't even. Um, oh, God, oh, God. And, and, and there lies God's purpose in it. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of soften this a little bit because Hosea loved those babies and he... Uh, in, in the end, those babies, and so, you know, you can take a name like, you know, I mean, I, I hope nobody has this name. Let's just pretend nobody has this name. Such French, help me out here. Uh, but let's say someone's calling their child Dumbo, okay? I, I don't recommend that. It's a horrible name. It's a horrible name. Maybe an elephant, but not a child. And so, uh, but, you know, love can... Uh, can do a lot of things. And Hosea became the most loving, the most lavished uh, love on those children that you can imagine. So uh, Lo, uh, Lo Ruhama, um, of course, every Hebrew ear would catch it. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just gonna, kind of, I'm just trying to think a little bit here. So Hosea would say, come here, uh, low or lowy or whatever. Uh, it would never be pronounced that way, but you understand what I'm saying. So that the, the full impact of the, of the name would not, would not be heard. And, and, uh, uh, and the symbol of the fact that Israel was not loved by God. I am not going to love Israel. I am not going to protect her. I have no responsibility. Does anybody think... That you should be responsible for someone else's child that was not your own. Is there any law in America that says uh, if you live on uh, 10th Street, then the children over on 11th Street, you've got to take care of all the kids on 11th Street. No, it doesn't happen. Not a nation on earth says that somebody else is responsible for somebody else's children. It was never meant to be. And so this is how the Lord is telling uh, Hosea, I, I am not going to be responsible for you because you are no longer mine. You have turned your back. You want other gods, then they're going to take care of you. That's what the Lord was saying. Folks, I want to tell you a thing. It's a very, very dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a, of a God that is full of might and power. You need to humble yourself before him. This business of naming their children, now that, that, <laughs> I tell you what, I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will bitterly take them away. And then Le'ami, the son, which means you are not my people. I will, and then he says in verse 9, I will not be your God. 
So listen, there are people that are saying they're serving God, but it's not God. He says, I'm not your God. You can say all you want to. I'm not your God because you've turned your back on me, my laws, my word, my ways. What makes you think you're worshiping me? You know you're worshiping some other God. And so they're gonna, it's going to be up to them to take care of you. Now let's go to the next one. Now, so verse 10 says, so we're in chapter 1, yet the number of the children of Israel, here's the prophecy. Oh, hallelujah. Let's praise him right now. Let's give God praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you because there's always hope and faith. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. It shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. So Lo-Ami, which was the final son, which means I am not their God. He said, but I'm going to be their God because I know the beginning from the ending. They're going to turn back to me. How many are thankful that God knows all things and he knows how to keep us? Praise God. Then chapter 3, the very last line. This is important, so I I won't won't rush too much right here. So I I bought her to me. That's the King James. I'll just leave it like that. So that's chapter 3, verse 2. So Gomer had been sold into slavery due to her life of sin. But Hosea found her, searched for her, and bought from the auction block of the slave master. It was the final. So this is the final uh, tidbit of Gomer's story because Gomer, uh, who had been so unfaithful, and so it is that Hosea says, God is going to be faithful to Israel in the end because he knows the end from the beginning. And so you can see that as Hosea searched for his wife, Jesus came searching for the salvation of all humanity. Is anybody thankful that he cared for you enough to search for you? The shepherd went out and he searched and he found us. We thank God for it. Now let's go to the next one. So the happy ending was not as a norm for marriage, but as a symbol of spiritual restoration that Gomer chose to be both of these things, but by accepting deliverance, love restored her. This symbolized the cross and the wavering unwavering love of God. But only after reaching the lowest of human conditions did Gomer reach out in desperation and finally see and receive restoration to Hosea. And Hosea said to her, Then thou shalt not play the harlot as thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. And so the end of the story was a great love story. It was tragic. It was unbelievable. And you had to nickname your children to get through it all. And let me tell you something. Okay, let's go one more. Let's go to one more thing. This is the last thing. Now, let's look at the consequences of such a uh, someone turning from uh, from their God, from the one that loves them. All right, number one. Now, we're looking at chapter three. I mean, chapter two. So we've done one and two. That's Gomer. Now we're looking at chapter two, which is not about Gomer. It's about Israel. All right, number one. She is no longer my wife. And I'm doing this from a simplified translation. So just give me a moment here. So I'm not reading the King James here. I'm just giving simple quotes from uh, the New Living. It says, she is no longer my wife and I am no longer her husband. So the end result, of course, was divorce. So God is saying, God himself said, I have ended my relationship with you because of your adultery. Which, of course, is what Jesus says in the New Testament. There's only one reason you could break a marriage relationship. She is no longer my wife, and I'm no longer her husband. So what a tragic uh, situation that is. Then, number verse 2, and I'm reading, tell her to remove 
the prostitute's makeup and the clothing that exposes her. I'm taking this from, remember, the New Living. So uh, the adultery's sinful lure, the things that go along. Some people said, well, uh, that's just the way they want to live. No, 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 my friend. There are ways that are so, so abominable that God will not wink at them. You cannot say that I will just bring them into my life. No, no, no. The adulteries, uh, the things that bring it about, just like uh, the homosexual lifestyle, the adulterous lifestyle, the, the life of the prostitute. These are not things that are welcome into the house of God. These are things that uh, bring about uh, evil into our culture. And he says, uh, stop it. Now, verse four, skipping verse three, I will not love her children. And the King James translate that I will not have mercy on her children. So, uh, but I'm using this because it's, they basically mean the same thing. So it's, uh, this, the consequence here is its horrific impact on others. Really, the high price of running away from righteousness is always its impact upon the children. Now, the fact that God named these children things which reminded Israel of their own sin is a, is a message in itself. I cannot, uh, it, I can't say enough how distressing it is, but are, are you listening to me? Can you hear me? I only need a few more minutes here that when, when I am now saying that this child was named, uh, low on me, when I say that, and I know Hebrew enough to know that it means, uh, uh, you're not my people. Uh, See, that's the voice of rejection. That's like God saying, name your child a name that is in, in it rejection. And uh, how, how, how clever Hosea had to be to, to love those children, pat them on the head and say, mommy's not home, but, but here I am, baby, and so on. And, and, and then to nickname that baby in such a way. So what I'm trying to tell you is that while it was uh, hard and, and horrific and, and all the rest, the greatest impact was on the children themselves. Because when, listen, let's say, let, let, let me say this. Uh, okay, I, I, it's, can you stay awake just a few more seconds? Okay, let's say you decide you want to be a bank robber and a heroin addict. Is God then obligated to keep your children saved? Does God say, well, you go ahead and you be a heroin addict? and a bank robber, and a, and a thief, and a murderer. Let's, make him, let's just make this person really something. Okay, and that's what you just choose to be. Does God then say, well, you go ahead. I'll watch the kids while you're robbing the bank. No, my friend, he doesn't. You know why? Because your choices determine the blessings of God on your children. So for example, let's say you decide, I'm never going to pray. Is God obligated then to answer and help your children? And you never pray? You've, I, I'm never going to pray. I hate God, but he better protect my children. Nope. Nope. God will allow, because that's what's called free will. God will say, you want to be a bank robber? Then guess who's going to suffer the most? Your own children. I, gotta, I can't keep talking about that, but that's what he means when he says, I won't have mercy. I will no longer be able to provide the blessing on your descendants. If you decide you want to live like that, 
then whatever you get's going to be coming from that. If you're a bank robber, you better hope you're making a whole lot of money because I'm not going to be there to give you a single dime. But you serve me, and I'm going to give you the riches of heaven. Everything you ever longed for, you're going to find in me. You may not have a dime in your pocket. Sister French, I were preaching one time, and we had 30 no, $1.19. Remember $1.19 because I didn't have the extra penny to make $1.20? That's how much money. I don't mean we had money at the bank. I mean that was every dime we had in the world. I didn't have a bank account. But I was preaching a revival. I was leading the choir at the camp. I was a guest speaker. They later told me that we wouldn't eat at the uh, the canteen, you know. And I told them, you know, because I was so proud, prideful, didn't have any money. And they said, why aren't you coming to the to after service and all to the canteen? Well, I just just was serving God. And they said, well, it's all free and on the house. Brother French, we hope you know that we, we hope you're not hungry. Oh. No, I'm not hungry. I'm starved. Verse 7, when she runs after other lovers, she won't be able to catch them. The reason I'm using this simplified version is I, I don't want to complicate it with having to translate it myself. Just, just make it easier. When she runs after. So, in other words, I'm going to explain this by saying that the consequences that sin cannot deliver satisfaction. It can't bring what people think it's going to bring. So they think I'll run after this one and I, that's going to give me happiness. It doesn't bring happiness because sin never delivers. Number eight, verse eight. She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has, verse 12, but she claims her lovers gave her, gave it to her, in other words. Verse 13, but I will punish her. That's, I know that sounds troubling, but we're going to leave that for next week. I will punish her. She put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers. So she's blinded to the truth and also to the huge price that's taken out of your own life because you turn your back on God. Someone said, oh, it's such a, oh, it's such a challenge to walk with God. Well, you listen to this preacher. Serving the devil is much harder than the billboards tell you it is. And so it is that God said, I'm going to have a people that love me. Does anybody here love the Lord? Could you stand with me and let's just give God praise all across the building? There, there's one last verse, but we'll bring it up. Bring the last one. Let's lift our hands and praise God. Father, we thank you right now because you are able to bring out of the valley of trouble, Lord, and make a door of hope. And that's what you did in Israel, and that's what you did in Gomer, and that's what you've done in the church. Lord, many of us used to be uh, robbers and thieves, but you brought us out. Hallelujah. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock to stay. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, he did. Hallelujah. 
And so we thank you, Lord, just like you did. You brought Israel out of Egypt. So you brought us out of sin. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands and thank God for three chapters in Hosea and for the word of God, for what it means to us. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, right now, keep your hand upon us. Send revival. Lord, we're so unworthy. Lord, you're the one that brought us out. I'm not the one. I'm not here because I'm something. I'm here because you are a mighty God and you brought me from a long way off and you brought me into your fold. I was unworthy. I was unwilling, but yet you showed me your love. And Lord, you died for me and brought deliverance and delivered me from my sin. And Lord, now I'm walking on the King's Highway. And I thank you for it and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor, shake hands, and uh, hallelujah, you're dismissed. Thank you for joining us. Hosea.